Now it's my privilege to introduce to you our, our guest speaker once a month. We have somebody other than myself speak. It's not just for your benefit, but it's for mine as well, because I want to be able to receive. And our brother Mark has been part of our congregation for a while. We first met in Valley Center years ago. Never dreamed we'd be standing together in this capacity together. Mark's part of our preaching bench. God has blessed us. We don't have to reach outside. It's right in within our midst. God has those who can speak life into us. And you're going to hear a great message today that I believe only Mark can speak. And so come up here, brother. I want to pray with you. And those who are joining us from home, you're going to, we had a great time of worship this morning. And God's prepared our hearts, and I hope maybe you've been able to do the same, put on some worship music, and be able to receive what God has for us today. Amen. Would you mind standing with me one more time? Would you mind doing that? Just out of honor for God's Word, and just out of honor for my brother as we pray for him. Father, I thank you for Mark. He's a blessing to me personally. He has added so much to my life and my ministry. He has been an encouragement to me. And now I pray, Father, your anointing upon him. And just don't anoint him, but anoint us today to hear. And what we hear, we don't want to just tuck it away somewhere as information, but may it be transformation. May it affect the way we walk out this week. Help us to realize who we are in you. And I thank you for marking his faithfulness in preparing this message for us. We're pulling up to the table and we're getting ready to eat. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Put your hands together, will you, and greet my brother. (laughs) Well, good morning. I am going to take my time on this this morning because I think you're going to give me the time to take. So um, God is good, and I want to be able to share something that I believe will just be a blessing to us all. Um, Let me pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you for your word, the wisdom that will come from you. Holy Spirit, help me to do what I'm about to do, all to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I receive your supernatural ability to share your word to my family in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take a different twist on talking about identity. Uh, The title of today's message is holding fast to your identity in difficult times. I don't know if you realize what's going on in our nation, throughout our world, but it's getting quite crazy out there. It is getting so crazy out there that people are just doing bizarre things to each other that is beyond our imagination, and we're trying to figure out what is going on. I know what's going on, but in many cases, people are pointing the finger at each other and we are at odds at each other while we are not even looking at what the problem is really all about. But I want to title this message, Holding Fast to Your Identity in Difficult Time. So go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. A lot was going on, you know, in Peter's time, especially as the church was growing. How many know the church has not always been perfect? That the church has come with a lot of baggage. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that the church was made up of wicked people, sinful people, people who was well-educated and baptized in darkness before the light showed up. And you know that when we first heard the gospel and we became believers in Christ, 
our spirit changed, but we still had some issues with our minds. That's what the epistles are all about. It's about addressing a renewing of the mind so the church can look the way it is on the inside, on the outside. God has made us perfect in our spirit, but our minds need to catch up with that. So we've had a history as far as the church of not being so great, but you know what? Jesus is coming back for a church without spot and blemish, and guess what? We're, we're catching up. Our minds are being renewed to a lot of things, and because our minds are being renewed to a lot of things, it is affecting how we respond and deal with stuff. That's what Paul and Peter and all of the epistles were dealing with, is getting our minds renewed to be the church that God intended us to be. But with an unrenewed mind, cardinal thinking, that gives too much room for the enemy to end up causing our brains to get squirrely and crazy, and we do squirrely and crazy things, and as a result, we treat each other squirrely and crazy, and God wants that to stop. So here in Peter... You know, there were so many people who were dealing with the idea of not really wanting to receive the gospel. And you had people acting a certain way and those who wanted to receive the gospel to act a certain way. So Jesus was both rejected and received by people. And so Paul makes mention of this. And I love this because he was dealing with the idea that when Jesus was rejected, he was talking about the stones that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Guess what? I am one of those bricks of the building now because of Jesus. And it's being held together by my Lord and Savior. All the bricks, you and I, make a house, a spiritual house. And I thank God that we are here as a spiritual house. But it goes on to say this, but ye are not like that. And what Peter was dealing with because there was so much malice and so much hatred and so much stuff going on that it just did not even depict anything that human beings should do or how they should act. And he said, because you're the church, you're not like that. Okay? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he's called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know about you, you know, this is Black History Month, and I'll talk about a little bit of that later on, but you know, the color of my skin, I'm African American, but really the color of my skin is chosen, okay? So, so when I'm looking at you, the color of your skin may not be my color, but that's not who you are. You are chosen. Chosen is the race that we are. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood, which means this generation, this race has access to God, okay? So, and, 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 do, and do we a holy nation, which means there is one kingdom. God is the, the rule, Jesus is our banner, and that's where you and I reside. So welcome chosen today. You know, so don't let anybody divide you with the color of your skin. If they say to you, uh, 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 no, hold on, are you black? No, I'm chosen. My dirt is black because I was created from the dust of the ground. You were too. God took the dirt and he made a body and he breathed in the spirit. Why are we arguing with the dirt? Why is it that the dirt gets so much issue and not the spirit? So we're chosen generation. And I love speaking to a chosen generation because we're one and the same. So as we go on here, I want you to recognize this. We're set apart. We're separated, 
from people who have rejected God. We are now a new spiritual race. Corporately, we live a lifestyle and a love that is advertised in such a way that it shows forth the marvelousness of God. It's something that the world has never seen before. They don't know what to do with it when they do see it. But we're chosen. The common denomination of today's dealing with race relationship is one, is that are we chosen or we're not chosen? Because I'm really realizing God wants to do something great in us. So there's this identity that he wants to reveal through you and I in the earth right now so we can, as the Bible said, we can show forth the wonderful works of God, the marvelous things of God. So today the church is facing great opposition. We are experiencing increased outside harassments and, and changes from a society that is constantly changing in our midst. The core value of what we believe and who we believe, the teachings of the Bible, is under attack. It is looked at in many areas as hate speech. You've heard that before, haven't you? Because we don't believe some of the choices that people make, because our belief system is different, we're called homophobic. We're called divisive people. We're called people who is opposing. I don't believe in abortion because God doesn't believe in abortion. Don't get mad at me because my identity is different than yours. You know, you got a right to your identity, I have a right to mine, okay? But the idea is that I choose to believe what God says. But because I choose to believe what God said, you're hated. You're, something is wrong with you, you know? You know, and, and, you, you, it, it be, it, and don't become or be a part of a congregation where your, your dirt is white, you're white supremacists. That's the church that the, that the world is trying to identify us to be. That is nothing like us. We need to show them we're chosen. We need to show them a new identity in the midst of all this craziness that we're seeing in the face of the earth. So, and there is more things, you know, people are opposing us because we don't believe in same-sex marriage because, you know, God, God didn't create that. You know, we, 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 we have no problem with genders because God created genders unless you want to make up a new gender. Don't get mad at me, okay, because my identity is different because I choose to believe what the Bible says. I'm not going to mistreat you, but I still have a right to my identity, and my identity is in Christ. So as we look at the, as we look at the church and people say, you know, the church is, has a bad history. Yes, it does. It also has a good history. The bad history is, is that we were, a chosen, we were a chosen people that didn't have a slightest idea how to live be chosen. We were dumb and stupid. Paul, Peter, I mean, read the epistles. You know, some of the things that we were seeing believers doing was like, are you kidding me? You can't, you know, you can't be serious. And here's the bottom line, is when we're living by the flesh, we will do what the flesh does. The works of the flesh is evil. That's why Paul said in Galatians, walk in the spirit. He was talking to the church, stop walking in the flesh. The flesh made our history horrible until we start walking in the spirit, until we start recognizing we have a new identity called chosen, and it has a new way it behaves itself, and it is consistent with the characteristic and the nature of our Father, our God. So, as we get into what we're going to talk about, we're, we're wanting to deal with the idea it's time for the body of Christ to pick up our identity and show it. There are so many things happening in our world that's causing us
to put a light under a bushel, like Jesus said. Don't, don't put your light under a bushel. Let your light so shine that men may see the good works that you do and glorify me. Be a, be a light, be a city on the hill that can be seen. But because we have been bashed and harassed, and that is an attack of the enemy right now, he is doing a great job. It is silencing us. It is making us take a back seat, and sin is just rushing in and taking over. And God say, rise up to your identity. Take back what the devil has seemingly taken over. Take and gain ground. You know, when I think about the scripture, how many, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand, stand therefore. How many think that that is a still position? Because that word stands means an advancement. It means you are leaning forward, you're moving forward, and you're taking ground as you're leading because Paul was dealing with a military. Do a military, when they're in battle, just fight in the same spot? Or are they advancing and taking territory? Identity, who we are, takes territory. We don't give it up. We've given up too much for too long. Now it's time to take it back. Pick up your identity and let's get on with the business of taking back the territory that the enemy thinks he has stolen. He doesn't have it. So identity, what is it? You see that on the screen up there? Where do we find it? Where did it come from? Why do we need it? What does it do? The world seems to be going absolutely berserk, absolutely crazy, because they're trying to find an identity. They don't even know what an identity is. Without identity, Purpose or reason for existing is unknown. Without identity, we are confused where we're going because there is no real destination. Without identity, we just don't know what we're supposed to look like. We just find ourselves imitating whatever appeals to us at the time. Everybody is looking for identity. Some are trying to find identity in their jobs. Some are trying to find identity in their personal achievements or their accomplishments. Some are trying to find identity in their money or material things. Some are trying to find identity in the way they look or the clothes that they wear. Some are trying to find identity in their gender or a gender that they dream themselves up to be. Some are trying to find identity in race or color of their skin or the people that they hang around with. Unfortunately, our search for identity has taken us more into a direction of darkness and chaos and further away from the place that we need to be because we're lost, not knowing where we're going. The more we look for it, the further we find ourselves out in nowhere. But I want to talk just a little bit about identity. What, what is identity? It's, it's, I'm not going to get into anything heavy and deep. It's just going to be simple. What identity? You know, when the Bible talks about it, now the Hebrew word for identity means the same exactness. It means from the same source. It also means a duplication of the original. What does that sound like? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us, talking to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I have originated from the originator. My identity is original. Okay? Before my skin was black, I was spirit from the original 
originator. If you hear what I'm saying, before your skin was white. I just call it dirt because that's, you know, God lets us know how insignificant color is by how he, what he made it from. Now, I'm not saying dirt is insignificant. I'm just saying that it should not take the priority that we give it. It shouldn't mean a thing, but the spirit inside should mean everything because he breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. But it means this. It, 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 my identity is where it all began. So guess what that means to me and guess what that means to you? My identity came from God, okay? My identity did not come from my parents, maybe my heritage, some cultural things. My identity came from God, so guess where your identity come from? We have the same father, no different, you know? We are the same family. There is no separation. You know, when I, when I also begin to look at the idea of how awesome God is, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm not going to do that. I promise myself I'm not going to do that. Our identity came from God. We came directly from his image and from his likeness. We are an exact duplication of the God kind. The image is a complete resemblance of the original. The likeness is the complete form and appearance of that which we originated from. So when I look at you, I'm really looking at what God looks like. So when people should see us as the church, there should be no mistake. That's what God looks like. And we should be walking this earth so full of that's what God looks like that it impacts everybody else who want to look like what we look like so they can find the identity that was lost. Your identity has been under attack for a long time. Starting in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer, using the serpent, was able to communicate with Adam and communicate with Eve in order for them to abandon their identity by speaking a lie, and they bought it because they didn't know who they were. You know, the devil was sitting there saying, you know, if you, if you eat from this tree, don't you know that you will be as God? I was created from the originator. What are you talking? See, when you, start question, when you start having a dialogue with the devil, that's when he scrambles your brain. Because when the devil asks questions, don't answer him. Because if you get into a conversation with the devil, he will mess your thinking up. Because he is the master craft of deception. Okay? Jesus never answered the devil's questions. If you recognize, even when he was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> he spoke the truth to the liar. He never dialogued and had, let us sit down and negotiate. No, 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 no. Well, how do you feel about that? You know, what, what thinking, what, you know, how, what, is your, what is your opinion? See, God, we don't do that with the devil. When we start doing that with the devil, what's your opinion? What's your idea? You find out how squirrely people's thoughts can be. <clears throat> because that is where the strength of the enemy is in you beginning to have a conversation with a liar. So, here's a story I want to tell you. I saw this online, and there's a screen of a guy here. Uh, his real name was not Benjamin Kyle, but they call this a story of BK. Now, BK, one day, a young lady who worked at Burger King, throwing trash away, happened to come to the dumpster and see this man lying on the ground next to the dumper, dumpster, naked, 
middle-aged Caucasian guy. She was so shocked. The guy was covered with blood, sunburns, you know, bite marks from ants that's just biting him. He was, he looked like he was dead, but he was not dead. He was in a terrible condition. They called the paramedics. Paramedics came to tend to him. He was still unconscious. They got him to the hospital. And by the time he awakened, they were trying to find out, who are you? And he looked at them, it's like, I don't know. There was no identification on him. He didn't know where he was, how he got there, or anything. He was absent of identity. Because he was absent from identity, he was disconnected from everybody and everything. They didn't know what to name him because of the fact that, you know, he was found at the Burger King dumpster. They said BK, Burger King, okay? But then somebody said, let's name him Benjamin Kyle. So 11 years, that's the name that was tagged on a man who had no identity and didn't even have an idea of who he was and where he came from for 11 years. Until finally on the news, on programs, they were trying to get an idea. Does anybody know this guy? Some guy named William Powell, who didn't even know that was his brother. But something triggered through a yearbook, because he was from Lafayette, Indiana. And the yearbook indicated that this guy, last name was Powell. They got in touch with everybody, and what happened was is that his brother showed him the family tree. And he saw for the first time his lineage and where he came from. And the statement that he made when he finally was able to put two and two together, he said, you know what? The idea of looking through the names of the descendants of my past and all the people before me, now I have history. The devil is working overtime right now to get us to lose our identity. Pushing us aside, making us a non-factor. We're not even listened to, believe. We're looked upon as being a joke, being someone that is dividing the world instead of bringing it together. And you know, the church seems to be losing in its influence. The influence of sin seems to be abounding, but we know, we know the story, okay? But right now it seems to be abounding because we're not being the salt of the earth like we're supposed to be. We have set our identity on the shelf. Our identity needs to be picked up. We need to pick it up, put it on, and start moving. So here is where I'm going to go with this story. We're going to discover how our identity should look. Just like Jesus, we were all prodigals. You know, I, I said that this morning, everybody in this room, I know that my ancestor had a history of slavery, which was horrible, and so did you. We were all sinners. We were all bound and on our way to hell fast until Jesus intervened. We were all in darkness. And you know the devil's kingdom is in chaos anyway, so guess what? When we were all part of the devil's kingdom, chaos is nothing that we should be surprised about. But I'm so glad that Jesus has made me free. I'm so glad he's been my emancipator, you know, and your emancipator too. 
because we all was not going anywhere great. But now we know where we're going because we are chosen generation. We're chosen race. But Jesus became that good Samaritan. So now that I know my identity is the exactness of the one who originated me, that's my father. Now I know that where it came from, it came directly out of him into me. He made me with the stuff that he's made of. That's why we're special in the eyes of God. We were made from the God of this universe. But what am I supposed to do with this? And this is where we have the opportunity as people to pick up our identity and show the world what they have yet to see in its fullness. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5 with me. I want you to look at verse 16. Jesus came into this world for one purpose and one purpose only, to show us the Father and to show us a way back to the Father, to reunite us with our original identity. But then at the same time, he said this to you and I, with the identity that you now have as a child of God, as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you need to manifest something called glory, displaying his nature, displaying his works. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That's awesome. We are supposed to reflect something that we ourselves never been before. And that's glory that belongs to our God. God wants to reflect his character and his image. So identity is a reflection of his character and his image which show forth his glory. Let's look at a few people. Let's look at Daniel. I want you to go to Daniel chapter 6 with me. <clears throat> Daniel, and there were three others that we see in this story in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 1 when it starts. The nation of Judah was made captive by the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. So, you know, my ancestors were not only the other ancestors that had to deal with slavery. There was other nations that dealt with slavery. The Jewish nations deal with it a lot as well. So we look at the nation of Judah being captive. And they looked among them and saw all of these really well, seemed to be very intelligent young men. And they said, you know what? We're going to erase their identity and give them a new one under the Babylonian aspect. They were going to teach them the king's stuff, eat the king's food, teach them the king's language, educate them with the king's history, and make them like Babylonians. But Daniel was like, uh-uh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the other three Judea boys, uh-uh. They were not going to surrender their identity to another identity that was inferior to them. So they asked the king's magistrate, you know what, we know what you want to do, and we know that, you know, we can show you right now. Let me do what we're going to do here for the next 10 days, and we'll be just as healthy and wise and just as, you know, awesome as in our appearance as everybody else. So, you know, Daniel had favor. How many know your identity will get you favor in the impossible situations? And so Daniel had favor. So, so the magistrate, okay, we'll let you do that. So, you know, they, 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 they maintained their diet. They maintained their lifestyle. 
and they were just as wise and even better than the others who were also in the school of being re-educated at that time. But here's the story. Daniel was a man of prayer. How many of you have an identity of prayer? Because if you have an identity of prayer, people will realize when you talk to God, things happen. Okay? And they see it manifested in your life daily. But here Daniel, Daniel was a man of prayer. Three times a day, same spot, Daniel had a relationship, a vertical relationship. It was really intact. So they got mad at Daniel. How many know when you're walking in your identity, the world don't like it and they want you to change it now? I don't know if you read the story or seen the story of the man who was shopping at the mall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He had a Jesus shirt on and the uh, security guards surrounded him and told him, take that off. You will not shop with that Jesus Save shirt on. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? You know, I have a right, no. And he went on, the security guard, that shirt is offensive and divisive. Take it off. You're not popular, you know that? You have the answer, but they don't want the answer. And the surprising thing about it, it generated a crowd. Instead of a crowd saying, he can wear it, he can wear it, they were shouting, take it off, take it off. Isn't that amazing that you're standing in the midst of chaos and calamity and you have the choice, am I going to keep my identity or am I going to put my identity on, in my pocket? This guy refused to do that. He did eventually leave, but guess what happened a few days later? A large group of people marched in there. They had a coming to the mall with your Jesus t-shirt day. And they filled that mall with Jesus t-shirt people. Identity. I did pick it up. People got mad. No, 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 no. We're picking up identity. We're coming to that mall, and you can't stop us. You are a powerful force, chosen people. This chosen race that God has created. So here, Daniel. Daniel heard about the decree oh, that was written. If you pray to any other God in these 30 days, you're going to be thrown into the den of lions. How many know that some of us say, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll pray. They won't see me pray because they're thinking about that dinner line. Daniel's like, oh, no, 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 no. You want to see the identity of my Lord? Put me in the lion's den. Because as soon as he heard, this is what the scripture said in verse 16. Um, no, that's not verse 16. Hold on. Verse, verse 10, chapter 6. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And I know he was praying loud, okay? He prayed three times a day just as he's always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you sign a law for the next 30 days that any person who prays to anyone divine or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? It didn't budge Daniel at all because Daniel was not the one to sit his identity down. I have an identity with the Father. We talk. We spend time together. I have a relationship. 
I like that identity. Pick that up. Don't even put that down. Don't even put that in the closet. You wear that all the time. And so you know the story that they came and got Daniel and they put him into the lion's den and identity showed up. God's presence showed up and the lions were not hungry. They were like kittens around Daniel. Your identity will tame wickedness. Don't back down. Step up. So all of a sudden, the king who hated the idea of what he'd done because Daniel had so much favor. Daniel, he crying out, Daniel, did your God, did your God save you? I'm just paraphrasing it. Daniel said, yeah, you did. You know, I'm here. And the king ordered, get him out of there. And you know what the king did? All of those who came against you, put them in there. And the lions had a great lunch from that time on. Your identity is your greatest defense who you are. Don't allow anybody to get you to compromise or believe that your identity has a separation with God. I don't care what your color your skin is. You are a chosen generation. Your race is spiritual. We have the same father and he will fight our battle. We just need to allow ourselves to stand and not give in to what the pressures are trying to do to us. But if you keep in mind Here's another story, Daniel chapter 3. This is the, what we call the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's the crazy thing about it. When, when people are trying to change your identity, you know they try to change their name. Daniel, they want to change him to Belshazzar. Shadrach, Hananiah. Meshach, Mishael. Abednego, Azariah. The name means absolutely nothing. You know what? Because you got a name written in heaven. That, that's not my identity. That's just a label. Mark Harmon is a label. But my identity is with my father. He lives in me and he lives in you. And she, we, we should be looking the exact likeness because we come from the same origin. So I look at the three Hebrew boys. What was their manifested identity? They worshiped God and didn't worship idols. How many of you live a life that you don't worship anything but God and people know it and it's not hidden in the closet? So here we have the three Hebrew boys, King Nebuchadnezzar, thinking he's all this and that, you know, built this big statue and made the whole nation come and worship. And here's these three with a different identity. They were cut from a different mold. And here are the king's people. King, when the music sounded, there were three that didn't bow. Who are they? And they pointed them out. Bring them to me. So king thinks he's this and that and everything else. So he threatens them. Here's the story in a nutshell. Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16, and Abednego replied, because he threatened them like he had the authority over their lives and they were letting them know our identity is hidden in the God that we serve, not your, not your kingdom. So he said now to them, uh, you know what? You guys are going to learn a lesson today. I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and I'm going to crank that dude up seven times hotter than what it is. And we're going to cash you in, which is so funny 
because the Bible makes mention that the soldiers who tried to cast them in were perished before they even got close to the furnace, which means Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with their identity, walked in on their own accord. Powerful. Your identity will bring you before greatness. Don't back down. Don't, don't, don't let that, don't push that aside because of the threats that come against you and the harassment that come against you. But then the conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, here, here is their reply, because he told them, I'm going to throw you in this. And they said, uh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to defend ourselves. When you have the identity of God, that's your defense. That's it. You know, he is strong enough to protect his own reputation. He don't need my help. So he said, he said that if you throw us into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your powers, your majesty. But even as he doesn't, we will make it clear to you. Now, some translation says this. King, if you choose to throw us in there, we're not going to change. And if you choose not to throw us in there, we're still not going to change. We're still not bowing down, whether you choose to throw us in or choose not to throw us in. So you can take that either way, okay? God is still our great deliverer because you've seen him deliver them. So he said, Let's, I want to make it clear. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking. I said, these guys are arrogant. I can see them like, I'm going to make it clear to you. We're not bowing. King got furious, cranked his furnace seven times hotter than hot, and the boys walked in all on their own accord, and the fourth man was there. And the king looked and said, didn't we put three in there? There's fourth, and the other one looks like the son of God. How do you know what the son of God looked like? Identity. You wear it. It goes where you go, and people see it. Don't hide it. Pick it up. Let it show. Noah was one of my favorites. I love Noah. Because Noah showed me a backbone that I said, I, I need to pick that up. Can you imagine that you are the only human being in the whole entire world that wasn't wicked? Can you imagine God telling you to build a boat out of the middle of nowhere saying a flood was going to come and everybody looked at you like you were an idiot from Mars? Can you imagine taking 100 years to build this boat singly with the whole world hating you and you standing your ground? That's a strong identity. And the Bible is saying in, Roman, in Hebrew chapter 11, verse 7, it said, it was by faith that Noah built the large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned him about the things to come that never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. You know, that's why the church is right now under attack, because when we stand up, it condemns the people. It shines the light on their wickedness, and they don't want the light shined on them. Don't hide your identity under a bushel. Don't do that. Let it be seen without a shadow of a doubt. But hear what the Bible says. <clears throat> when I read that, and it said that by, by his faith he received righteousness, right standing with God. So here is kind of like a summary of that. Noah, he condemned the world through his lifestyle, your lifestyle, wherever you go, where you work, where you shop, whatever, people should see you coming and realize you are something that they 
don't even know what to do with. You are not like them and they know it right off the bat, the way your attitude is, the way you approach things, how you talk, how you behave. You're, not, you, you're, you're a guy from Mars, you're not, you're not from here. They will think, and we're not from here, you know, be honest with you. But we think that people will celebrate that. But at the same time, they're trying to attack that because they want it to go away. You know they wanted Noah to go away. God told Noah what to do, and he did it without question. That's an identity. God said it, that's it, I'm doing it. He didn't even question. Why? What for? How? You know, he just, God gave him the instruction. Noah did it without delay. His identity is that Noah had the audacity to believe God, what God said. My identity, if God said it, I believe it, that's settled. It's settled because God has already said it. His obedience and his action showed his identity in what he was doing. Can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine what they would say on CNN and all the other things and the 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 the, 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 the clips that they would have? Man out building boat in the middle of this desert, saying it's going to rain and flood. You know, it's never rained before in those times. All right, and it's like he is an idiot. And that's what you hear. And probably he had crowds of people that was around him day in and day and night ridiculing him. But his identity was like, I heard God. God said, that's all it takes. I'm doing what I should be doing. For he had the backbone to stand and follow God. Well, it kind of makes me think, and you know, this is Black History Month, and, and it kind of makes me think of some of my ancestors who showed their identity in times where it was very, very, very difficult. Martin Luther King was one. He manifests his identity like a modern-day Moses, just like Harriet Tugman did with the Underground Railroad. When I heard Martin Luther King, I've been to the mountaintop just before he was killed, and the last thing he said in closing his speech, I said to myself, most people is going to go over their head they will not even know what he was talking about because people are still trying to say keep King's dream alive like it's something that's going to materialize here. King was seeing over the banister <laughs> into the future of the kingdom that God is making up. So this is what he said, just to kind of reiterate that. This was the last part of his speech. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind like anybody else. I like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, and I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up into the mountain, and I looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I'm looking at this like, God, what was you showing him? Because that had to be something extraordinary. You're facing death because you got all these death threats and you know that you're facing death and you're sitting here speaking with this kind of boldness. Identity doesn't back down. 
But at the same time, and, I, and, 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 and I'm going to show you something here. I'm going to do Harriet Tugman, and then I'm going to show you something here. Matter of fact, we're going to actually display this a little differently than we did this morning. Harriet Tugman, a slave. The Underground Railroad? You know, thinking about when it was literally impossible to escape your slave master. Thirteen expeditions. Never caught. Took over 70 slaves to freedom. Her thing was this. And here's her identity. She knew the voice of God. Do you have that kind of identity? Because she, she, she said this. I would, listen, I would listen carefully to the voice of God as he led me north. She said, I would only go where, where I felt God was leading me. And people looked at her, and she had a powerful prayer life. It's that relationship with God. She may not have been something in the eyes of the slaveholders, but she was awesome in the eyes of God. And it says, her, they, they said her prayers was like the prayer of faith, as though she expected an answer. How many of you like an identity that when you pray, God answers? You know, I mean, instantly. And, and people was, would express, you're such a courageous woman. Her response was, it wasn't me, it was my Lord. How many of you can have a legacy that when it's all said and done, the message is your Lord and not you? As long as I'm alive here, I want to not be known by what was Mark, what the name of Mark Harmon. I want people to know Mark Harmon's Jesus. And I want them to know the legacy that I built because they see it in my children who are passing that on to their children. The legacy of the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. Jesus manifested his identity. John 20, 21, he deal with the idea is that he told, he, in his prayer to God, before he went and bid the right hand, he, he asked God that we may be one as he is one in God, that we may be one in him. Where is my identity? One with God. And he said, I'm going to give them my glory so the world may know, may know that God sent me. So I said this this morning. I look at my pastors here. I said, when you see Pastor Joe, the first thing that comes to your mind, oh, God sent him. Why? Because he's showing the manifested glory. That's his identity. I want people, when they see me in the supermarket, what must I do to be saved? You haven't even said a word. When you go into the hospital, who are you? You walk through just your very shadow. People are healed because of your identity. Our identity has so much impact and it's ready to explode. Similar to what's happening in Asbury College today, students decide to pray and all of a sudden a move of God is taking place. God wants to move in our midst. Let me do this because I'm, I'm, I need to start closing. I'm going to show you something and I want some people to come and I want them to grab my Play-Doh. Okay? All right. You know, you know we're fighting, I call this clay. You know what our major fight is because, see, the Bible tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, the wiles of the devil, the trickery of the devil. The devil has been doing such a great job, especially in these past years, of getting race back into this kind of thing. Yeah. 
It's not flesh and blood. It's the principalities, the influences of this world, the demonic host who is orchestrating and using people. And while we're fighting each other, those demon spirits are just having a good time laughing because they know that the things that the devil wants done to kill, steal, and destroy is moving along very well. So I want to show you something. I need five people. We're going to make this quick. And, and, and because you're grown, I know you're a Play-Doh person. Don't, don't, don't do that. I know you played with clay when you was a kid. Quickly, quickly. I want to show this and we're going to close. Oh, I see. I, I have some kids. That's what I'm talking about. The heart of God right here. All right, I, I need two more. Yeah, there we go. I need one more. Here we go. Now, I want you to open this up, and I want you to take a hunk of it, and I want you to share it with each other. Get down there. Get down there. Going to do this together. I want you to see it. I want you to take, take, take part of yours, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm a red man. No, I'm a, I'm a yellow man. I'm a green man. I'm a white man. I'm a black man. I want you to take a piece of you and give it to each person right now. <clears throat> and while you're doing that, I'm going to say this real quick. As we all know, the month of February is designated, be patient with me, I want to get this out, Black History Month. It's a time that people of my ethnic group reflect on the past struggles, various experience and injustice, and the battles in the fight for freedom and equality, as well as celebrating the many successes and accomplishments of my ancestors, along with having a genuine faith in God. The amazing question is, how can a people who were targeted by the devil survive, but it was by the grace of God? I think of Black History Month as a time of a great awakening, that it was a period we seen where God turned tragedy into triumph, showing how the light of the glorious gospel and the rising of the many in the church community, the people from different ethnic backgrounds standing up together, overcoming the many evils of the devil, all the stuff he's trying to throw at us to destroy us. We realized what was right and good, and we took hold of that. And there is something spiritually happening that was impacting during that time of the civil rights movement that was pushing back the forces of darkness. And that's why we saw a tragic end. The devil wanted to destroy the one who was doing the pushing. It's time when God's people, black and white, red and yellow, pick up their identity in God and begin to push back and to begin to wage war on the devil's kingdom. Unfortunately, we stop pushing. We place our identity in the closet. We've allowed the devil to take territory from us that we should never have taken, and it's time to take that territory back. It's time to show our identity, show forth the nature of God, and show forth the kingdom in difficult times because we have been called by his name. Now, what I want you to see is this. I want you to see what Martin Luther King was seeing. When Martin Luther King had a dream, he was looking at Revelation. Put up Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is what he saw. His dream was for something that God gave him a glimpse Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 said, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. And they were clothed with white robe. Isn't that something? They're all clothed with the same robe. Glory. And held palm branches in their hand. And they were shouting with great roar, Salvation come to our God who sits on the throne for the Lamb of God has
has arrived. I mean, he was making a proclamation. And so when I look at this Play-Doh, everybody share the piece? I want you to make that one for me. This is something I do in a marriage counseling. I want you to make, everybody got a piece of each other. All these nations here. Because you know what, again, I said, your body is made of only dirt. We're dirty people. Okay, and we shouldn't be fighting over dirt. But God has given us a form. He just gave us a variety of color. I want you to make that one. See, right now, you guys are still having problems. You know how when one, one when you make things one, you don't see any differentiation of anything of any color. It should blend to the point that it loses its old contrast and it comes up with another color that has taken over all the other many colors that it started with. It takes work to live for Christ. It takes work. And using both hands. I mean, you, you working that. Becoming one. Because they're going to tell you now, okay, look at what you got for right now. I want you to separate and give me exactly what you started with. Why are we dividing ourselves? Why are we trying to separate when we're one? That's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to be fragmented. And right now, everybody's fragmented because you still haven't become one. We don't have time to do this. We've got to stop being fragmented. We've got to let our, our minds be renewed. The Bible says this, there is neither no more Jew or Greek. There is no more bond or free. There's no male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And pastor, you better come up here and stop me because I'm not ready to stop. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So I want you to know we're one. They come against me, they come against you. They come against you, they come against me. You can't separate us. We're no longer fragmented. We're working and becoming one that you can't see the difference all you see is the same. That's who we are in Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You can keep the Play-Doh, give it to the kids. But at the same time, I just wanted you to get the message that we are one in Christ. That's our identity. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. Wow. Well, listen, we want to take these moments now to reflect, and we're going to come to the table. This is the table of our identity. We are all one in Christ because of what this table represents. It's not, the unity that we have is not in sameness. It's in diversity. The world understands unity and sameness, and they're not impressed by it. What will catch their attention is unity and diversity. And that comes by God's hand. When the church was birthed, as we read about it in the book of Acts, we take it all for granted, but it was revolutionary. Jesus came to accomplish the scripture that Mark read to us, and we're going to see it expressed in heaven, but we don't have to wait for heaven. We can experience it now. All nations, all tongues, it's grace for every race. And when God looks at us, he sees us as the body of Christ. It's Jesus that makes us unified. Mark spoke about this revival that you've heard about going on in Asbury in Kentucky. When Connie and I were in seminary in Chicago, that same college was having another revival. It was in 1970-71. And if you go back and look at that college's history, there's been seven 
seven. And here's what's cool about it. They're all different. They're all different. And even as we look at revivals historically, they're all a little different because they respond to where we are at the moment. And I was reading one of the professors this week who's been going to every meeting, and he said this, this move of God that they're experiencing is, is expressing itself in three ways. One, it's a generation that, that is anxious, and God is bringing peace. It's a generation that is lonely, and God is bringing intimacy and unity with one another. It's a generation of divisive division, and God is bringing unity. See, God will respond exactly where we are. He'll meet us in the culture where we are. And so, even as we look back historically at the church's history, there's, we, see negative, we see positive. The Underground Railroad, the church was one of the engines that ran that. Now, there was another part of the church. They were opposed. Don't be surprised. There's always that struggle that goes on until we find our identity in Christ. And once we find that identity, then, then everything's going to change. We prayed for Ryan off camera in Mozambique in prison. How could he go through what he's going through? It's, it's his identity. It's his identity in Christ, and he believes God's going to use it for a purpose because that's his, that's his identity. That's what he does. So we're going to come to the table today, and we're going to celebrate that unity. And some of you may need to repent. That means to change your mind, to look at things differently. God may change your heart today. And some of us are raised in ways that cause great divisiveness among us based upon color or class or the other side of the tracks. See, I used to live on the other side of the tracks. And uh, people called me names because you weren't on the right side. It's nothing new. It's the sinfulness of man. Slavery's not new. We see it in our history and our culture, but it's global and it's existed since the beginning because of man's brokenness. There's only one answer. You can pass all the laws you want. It's the heart of man that will change. And the only way I know that's going to happen is by what we're partaking of here today. And God's done this for us and he's made us one in Christ. In the church, there is no male, female, slave, free, Gentile, Greek. Don't you understand? This was, this was incredible what was happening. People couldn't believe it. And that's why Jesus said, that's how they'll know who you are, because we are going to be one together in Christ. So, Father, as we come to the table this morning, we identify with one another in you. It is your blood that made us one. And when we look at each other, may we see what you see. For you see us as the body of Christ. And we are unique and different. And yet, we identify in you. This is a miraculous work. And we celebrate it today here at this table. But we don't want to just talk about it. We want to live it. Would you help us live that every day? Wherever our feet are, we want to walk in this identity and our oneness. We are chosen. We are chosen. That is who we are. We celebrate that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for sending your son to give us the identity we have today. We are called Christians. We are, want to be Christ-like as we live our lives. Help us in our relationships with others. Forgive us for times we have been in the flesh and we have responded according to culture instead of your word.
Lord, help us to move with grace and the fruit of your Spirit and be the light in this world. Thank you for calling us. And now our identity is clear. We are the chosen. And we're going to walk with that reality. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Read ahead next week, Acts 12. Interesting story. One is delivered and one is not. Why? Is it fair? We're going to look at it, practical stuff next week. So read Acts 12. Be prepared. Go in God's love, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.